This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Share Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. Another big show coming your way as we are in between Townsville weekends. We'll review Townsville last weekend, of course, with uh, Mark Walker and Richard Crail and we'll also have a chat to renowned journalist Bruce Newton. Bruce has been following a lot of the stories that are doing the rounds in supercars at the moment, such as ownership change, such as Gen 3, calendar, all that sort of stuff. He's got his finger on the pulse. We'll find out exactly what is happening in the world of supercars at a news level very shortly with Bruce Newton. Richard Crowell to join me in that interview as well. Before we speak to Bruce, though, let's have a look at some of the other news in motorsport. We'll kick it off with Formula One and the sad passing of Formula of former Formula One driver Carlos Reutemann at the age of 79. The Argentinian had a career spanning 10 years in F1 from 72 to 82 and managed 12 Grand Prix wins. Formula One released a statement upon his passing saying, We're deeply saddened to hear that Carlos Reutemann has passed away. He was a big part of our sport for many years and was a fighter to the end. He will be greatly missed. In strange news, McLaren driver Lando Norris has had a watch taken from him at the Euro Championship final. Norris was attending the final at Wembley Stadium as an England fan, as an English fan, I should say, to see his country compete in their first international tournament final in 55 years. McLaren released a statement reading, We can confirm that Lando Norris was involved in an incident after the Euro 2020 final match at Wembley, during which the watch he was wearing was taken. Thankfully, Lando was unharmed, but he is understandably shaken. As this is now a police matter, we cannot comment any further. And that is not the end of sporting events in the country. The British, the British Grand Prix taking place in front of a full crowd at Silverstone. MotoGP and... The competition organisers have confirmed changes to the 2021 calendar due to the cancellation of the Australian MotoGP last week. MotoGP explaining the decision to cancel the Australian Grand Prix, saying the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and resulting travel complications and logistical restrictions mean it's not been possible to confirm the viability of the event at this time and it will therefore not feature on the 2021 calendar. As expected, Portugal will replace Australia's round across November 5th to the 7th at the Algavari International Circuit and the Malaysian Grand Prix has been brought forward a week, now beginning on October 22. That's all the Formula 1 and MotoGP news. Let's talk all the V8 supercar news with Bruce Newton. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, joining me as he always does off the top of the program, Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Richard. Hello, Tony Shebecki. How are you? Mate, I'm fantastic. How was your uh, weekend at the races? Oh, it was nice to be in North Queensland. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. Uh, as you know, Shebeck's being in Melbourne, uh, those of us of a Southern persuasion, uh, she's pretty cold and damp this time of year. Uh, Adelaide's coming off one of its wettest Junes in, I think, 10 years. So. Yeah. To go up there to North Queensland and get the shorts out for a while was uh, a tremendous experience. Fantastic weekend. It's always a great trip. Lots to come out of the weekend. Um, Aside from the domination by SVG and the Red Bulls, which we'll cover off later on, but the the industry rumor mill and the news cycle is pretty active at the moment. So uh, I'm looking forward to diving into that this week. Yep. And we're going to do that with uh, one of Australia's leading motor racing journalists who seems to have his finger 
on the pulse and has been digging around the trenches over the last few days up in Townsville. And we'll see if we can get some uh, information from him about a few different things that are happening in the world of supercars at the moment. Bruce Newton joins us for a chat. Good day, Bruce. Hey, Tony. How you going? Mate, fantastic. Thank you for joining us. Uh, first of all, you're still up in Townsville. Half your luck. Well, I'm actually not in Townsville. I'm on Magnetic Island. Oh, so even better. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Having a week off. Mate, how, how was your uh, Townsville experience? Uh, terrific. Um, and by the way, hello, Richard, as well. I didn't Bruce. say hello to Richard. Um, no, really good. Um, always, as, as Richard was saying, it's always great to come up here. And um, over the last few years, we've made a bit of a family habit of um, then adding on a week afterwards. This yeah, year, nice. it's just me and my wife, Jane. We've dispensed with the kids. They're all too old to travel with us anymore. So we're just having a relaxed time down on the beach, drinking a couple of beers, all that sort of stuff. Beautiful. Mate, there's a bit going on, uh, and you're one of the, the leading news-breaking journos in our paddock, so you, you, your finger's on the pulse. So I'm, I'm keen to get your take on where things are at, and I suppose topic number one is calendar, and it's, as always in these times, extremely fluid. Surely there's no way we go to Sydney in five or six weeks' time, for starters. Look, I think it's difficult for supercars because Sean Seaman has to run the public line that, you know, Sydney's still viable and, and Sydney's still, uh, you know, there's a fair way to go and all that sort of stuff because it's quite complex. There's a lot of fingers in the pie, a lot of people involved in this. You've got broadcaster sponsors, the New South Wales government. You've got the teams. You've got a whole bunch going on. But I think your fundamental summary is right. Um Seymour hosted a media roundtable last Friday in which he said, we've still got six weeks to go. We want to go to Sydney. That's our plan. Um, but then you walk through the paddock and everyone's going, Sydney's gone. We're going to Tail and Bend. And then other people also are insisting that Perth's gone and that Pukekohe's gone too. Um, Seymour was just saying those are both fences, which is still very much viable. So we, um, we're very much in a situation where COVID's the dictator of our fortunes, I'm afraid. And... Um, and uh, you know you're, you've got to have a crystal. If you've got a crystal ball and can tell me what's going to happen, um, I'm all ears. But so, yeah, Tail and Bend is emerging as a real chance to replace the Sydney races and possibly even have a double header there. So the uh, the opportunity to bank an extra week up at Townsville uh, would be quite fortuitous. Now the fact that they had now have that to play with and have it in their back, back pocket to still effectively get the twelve rounds that they need to constitute their season. For, uh, for all their different people. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think they took the opportunity when they saw it. Um, the Winton postponement with, at the request of the Benalla Auto Club so they could get into a part of the year when the camping would be uh, more heavily subscribed campings intrinsic to the profitability of that race. So they wanted to go back to later in the year and then there's a hole in the calendar. So yeah, they can slot it. And they did this last year, of course. And um, so it, it made sense. And also the second race is the three, the three sprint races over two days. So it, I guess it makes it a more uh, cost effective, if I can put it that way, race meeting, they all come back, do it again, and um, and then we go and see where we go from here. The the return to Tail and Bend makes sense from a border point of view, as it stands this week, uh, as quickly as yeah. they change. But the the back-to-back rumour that popped up on the weekend caught me by surprise a little bit, given all the variables around. And uh, as you know, the, the talk around Sydney is that it'll get bumped to later in the season because it's such an important round and there's government cash involved there as well that they need to make sure they look after. But I thought the, the back-to-back option at the bend was a, 
one I didn't expect. Well, they did it last year, didn't they, mm. Richard? And it was actually quite successful. The, the, two vari- the two variations of the circuit work quite yeah. well. I think they're in a philosophy of where they just are taking on so many scenarios and planning so many different ways. I don't know if the double head is guaranteed. I think at this point they're just trying to figure out where, what and how to get their 12 rounds away. There's always been one untouchable each season, and that is Bathurst and the Bathurst 1000. Uh, obviously, the party line is, and, and so it should be. That is a long way away. Yeah. And, you know, we will still be running Bathurst, no problems would be what they're saying. But the longer this goes, once again, the permutations around Bathurst and the fact that will we have a crowd at Bathurst and all that sort of stuff, should they run in the first week of October, all becomes fairly fluid as well, doesn't it? Well, they did shift it back a week last year, didn't they? Is that right? Yeah, they did. Yeah, correct. They shifted it back a week last year. So I think they're, it's it's a sacrosanct event. You're absolutely right. It, um, in some form or other, it has to run. It's just critical to – well, it's the, it's like the Indy 500 for Indy cars. It's what the whole season's built around. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll run in some form unless the COVID situation in New South Wales just becomes, you know, the whole state turns into a Petri dish and then we're all basically buggered, aren't we? So, mm. yeah, let's hope for the best on that one. Um, certainly not a – we didn't cover that particular topic with um, SEMA on Friday, um, but I guess if this continues on in New South Wales in the way it is, then before too long it will be something we have to discuss. So does the Gold Coast remain and will it stay as the final event of the year? So my understanding is Gold Coast is guaranteed as the final event of the okay. year, but in the in the co- but yeah. Tony, in the COVID yes. era, everything's negotiable. I would have For thought. Sure. You're, Richard made a very good point. They really do want to get that Sydney night race away at some point in the year, and it. it I mean, I think there was a mention it, it could slot into October or November. If Pukekohe drops off the calendar, then there's holes popping up for Winton and for Sydney in that sort of time front. We're, we're throwing the cards in the air here and seeing where they land really at the moment, guys. There's, there's just so many imponderables. I really feel for those guys to have to go through mm. this challenge again of trying to pull the championship together and for the teams mm. who potentially face, you know, another difficult time on the road potentially. Who knows yeah. how it's going to roll out. We said last week, Richard, the two jobs you wouldn't want in this world at the moment are a Premier of a state yeah. and a sporting administrator. Yeah, not a chance. Damn those. And that, that Sydney event's doubly important because it's it's down as one of the, the free-to-air rounds, um, which would mean supercars primetime Saturday night on free-to-air TV. And, and it, yeah. it would probably be the biggest rated supercar race outside of Bathurst for the last 10 years, probably. Well, so, Yeah, and think about not going to Perth, which is another yes. night race, or New Zealand and servicing the massive fan base mm. that supercars have in New Zealand. I mean, these are huge decisions which have massive commercial ramifications. So Sean Seymour and um, the guys in there have huge, yeah, huge, huge decisions to make, and I don't envy them at all. If there's one thing that the calendar chaos has done is taken the attention for a little bit away from Gen 3, which is sort of stopping <laughs> on the radar from a discussion point of view for the last couple of weeks because we've been wondering where we go racing next. Um, what's yep. the latest from your side on the Gen 3 program? And, and you know, we're talking about prototypes at some point later this year is, is the chatter. So what's the latest uh, amongst this interesting rollout that we've had for the next generation supercar? Yeah, yeah, interesting. It's an interesting word, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Richard. So 
as part of that round table on Friday, um, Adrian Burgess was also present. Adrian um, revealed that the late August testing of prototypes ambition had been, uh, he didn't want like the word delayed, so they were now talking about October. Um, they're blaming uh, the slow arrival of uh, parts from overseas for the cars, but also they're still working on finalising the styling of the cars with the two manufacturers. Uh, there's been a push from the manufacturers to make the cars even more like the race cars, even more like the road cars. So that so the panels take a long time, the prototypes to to manufacture and or or make as prototypes, then they've got to get that all put together with the chassis and then get the cars out testing. So that they're now calculating that's October. There's a lot of lot a lot of um, uh, heat and fractiousness behind the scenes about this rollout. The mid-season decision is not popular with everyone. Um, the uh, the construction and design of the car is not pleasing everyone. There's some real concerns about how efficient the design is and how easy it will be to repair the cars and and build the cars. There's just you know there's been some fundamental issues. I think it's been reported that when um, the 5.4 liter Coyote engine was first put into the chassis, it actually didn't fit because of the it, there was a a chassis rail that actually um, uh, prevented the engine from being fitted into the engine bay properly. So there's been some fundamental things like that. Um, that seems really, fairly fundamental, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, the guys and, you know, Jeremy Moore and the guys who are in charge. At, so Jeremy Moore is, is is the technical director at Triple Eight and he's, in, he's effectively in charge of the design. With other people, there is an engineering group doing it, but Jeremy's basically been the guy who's been in charge of it. He is an incredibly talented engineer, as we yeah. all know. We all know him and what a smart guy he is. But this is a job that's obviously been, how can I put it? It's it's under incredible scrutiny and it's being done at, um, well, not at a fast pace, but at a compact pace, can we say? There's not a lot of room for mistakes and errors and revisions. And so I think there's, there's a lot of concern about the car they're going to end up racing and if it actually does make it even to the mid-season date next year now. Because, oh, and this brings in another factor, which is ownership change of supercars. Mm. There are people... On the, who are bidding for supercars, who I don't think are all that excited about if they do claim the ownership of actually introducing the car mid-season, they might look to push it back to the start of the 2023 year. But anyway, that's all... So that, that sort of stuff's all up in the air and happening. That's just a chatter you're here in the pit lane. It's... Who knows? But Gen 3 is a, is a controversial subject, no doubt. It did seem like a weird decision, though, when they brought it out a few, what was it, about a month and a half ago now, two months ago, when they said that the car wouldn't be ready for race trim until August of 2022. A lot of ears would have picked up and thought, why would you do that? Well, I that came up during the conversation with Seymour on Friday. I, I mean, I understand the delays that COVID has triggered and, and, and why they pushed it back from the start of 2020. Um, 2022 season and went back. Um, and you're right, Tony, mid-season, I can't think of a championship in the world, a major championship in the motor racing world at any time. Please correct me if you guys have got an no, example. That where they've had a complete change of the entire technical spec of the cars on the grid at the midpoint 
of a championship. Yeah. Now, there's been cars, new cars introduced, as has been pointed out. The FGX rolled out, sort of staggered in the 2015 season or whatever it was, and there was a Commodore step up from, from the old VX v- or whatever it was. VT, to v- v- VS to VT, 90, yeah. Yep. 1999, I think, Richard, mm. something like that. Um, but this is this is a this is like saying to F1, right? You know those cars you're developing for 2022. Well, we're actually going to roll them out at the British Grand Prix in July. You know, it's just. Could you imagine the heat that would blow up about that? But, yeah. So it's actually the accepting well, nature of the grid, at least on the surface, to do this has been pretty impressive. Mm. Um, but to get back to the question, the reason that SEMA says it's happening, well, so let's get them out there as soon as we can because we need these new cars. Holden's dead as a brand. Um, we want the new Mustang out there that's more indicative of the road car. You know, it's going to serve our commercial partners. It's going to trigger excitement in the season, all that stuff. I think all that stuff's got um, all got, you know, there's some justification for those arguments. So I asked him whether he had commercial pressures, broadcasters, sponsors, so on. He said, no. All our partners, they don't, they don't dictate those terms to us. They're happy for us to do it mid-year. They would be happy if we kept going with the, with the current cars. So it's their call. Um, I think one thing, uh, and sorry if I'm going on too long with this answer, no, but no, one, thing, one thing about this is going mid-season means that if they have to make a call, if COVID interrupts or they have problems with supply or something like that, they can go, okay, we've tried for mid-season. We'll go back to 2023. Because we can't hit that deadline, we'll go back to the orthodox thing and do the 2023 start. But anyway, it's like the calendar. Like, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. yeah exactly. It, you bring out, and, and when we lay it all out like this, gee, there's a bit going on. Uh, you you touched on the other 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 major storyline that is going around at the moment, which is the ownership change. And um, hasn't that created some chatter with the groups that we know are publicly involved? And yeah than the ones that we don't and the speculation around who they could be and, and what the chances are for they getting involved. So can you just run your ruler over the ones we know and what you think their respective chances are and then perhaps any insight you've got into um, what might be bubbling behind the scenes from some of the ones we don't? Okay, you've got the um, there's, there's six in total that they've received or, as was described to me, um, Roland Dane said it was at least six when I interviewed him on the weekend. And, and, I, and I don't mind saying it's Roland Dane because the quote's going to turn up in auto action yep. tomorrow. So, you know, it, so that's not revealing any secrets. But so at least six, which you can either interpret as there's more or there's six, but at a minimum there's six. The three we know about are the SCAFE slash TLA Craig Kelly bid, which would be a, a, a um, a combination of uh, team and TLA ownership of the sport. There's the Adderton, Morris, Smith. How many more are there? There's about eight of them. Yeah. Ingle, yeah. is okay. it there? <laughs> Nick Doohan's in there, is he? Yeah, yeah. he is yep. too, yeah. Right. And that's one that's pushing for 100% ownership, uh, no team ownership of the sport as we understand it. And then there's an Australian Racing Group bid, which is essentially Gary and Barry Rogers' uh, um, uh, Pace, sorry, I'm having a mental blank here. The guy from Pace, can someone help me? Brian, Brian Boyd, mm-hmm. Brian Boyd, and uh, and that group, uh, which also interestingly includes James Warburton, who's on the board there, as I understand it, and there's also a supercar shareholder still. So, I mean, that's an interesting one. And then we got three we don't we don't know about. So, um, or or we don't know who the names are. Um, so the process now is. 
uh, Miles Advisory, Tim Miles, who you know very well, Richard, through his Porsche racing, um, uh, former Supercars team owner. He is in charge of handling the sale on behalf of Archer Capital, which is the majority owner of the sport, as he was in charge of selling the sport back in 2011 to Archer Capital. So that's a... Tim's doing well on the way in and the way out there. Keeps um, him racing for another year. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 no problem. I don't think Tim's struggling for a budget. Just no, quite. no, no. Fair call. Um, yeah, so he's so they've got the six now. My understanding is they're now going to what's called a data room, uh, which is where they get the they've, – they've lodged their indicative bids. They go into a data room. They do their due diligence and then, then – um, two to three progress forward with final bids. Now, I'm not sure if all six get into the data room or they cull them at the indicative bid time. That, that, that's detail I'm not sure of. In terms of picking who's the favourite to go forward, well, I don't know the models and I don't know, you know, all the bids, so that's impossible for me to say. But I know that the debate about whether they want team ownership or not amongst the team owners is pretty strong. Some want it, some aren't so fussed on it. I know that uh, some people's concerned about Mark Scaife, who is a divisive character, and some are concerned about Peter Adderton, who is a divisive character. So um, maybe that gives AIG the chance to slide up the middle, but probably some people in the paddock would look, well, look at them. They already own half of Australian motorsport with all the categories they own, so maybe they would be turning some people off. So I can't call who's going to make the win. I'm going to watch it like you guys and be fascinated by the process and some stage later in the year we're all going to be sitting at a press conference probably over Zoom and being told what a great what a great deal it is for the sport and how it's all going to go forward and be wonderful. Bruce there is probably something you can add for us though that might give us a bit of a clearer picture as to in my mind anyways to which way this may go which team owners are in favour of re- retaining the team ownership and if, and if Roland Dane's one of those I, I think that has a big pointer to where this may lead. See, if I can't give you that, um, Shebex, because to be honest, to even the best I could do with most of the team owners on the weekend, on or off the record, was to talk theoretically about yeah. about this stuff. Like I fox popped all the team owners and and asked them all the same question: What do you want from a new owner out of the sport? And those answers will be published in Auto Action from tomorrow. But um, and. And encouragingly, 10 out of the 11 wanted to have a... Sorry, it's not 11. I'm not sure how many it is. But anyway, all but Jonathan Webb was willing to give me their their thoughts on it. And I can tell you now that the ownership wasn't the key thing. The thing was what they wanted was money. Yes. Well, that's been pretty... I mean, grow the pie was would be the way to say it. Mm. More money, more exposure, more certainty, growth. Their, their focus is on getting into their own pockets less to go racing, basically. And doing it, you know, actually making some money out of it would be handy. Be yeah. different for most of them. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it's at the moment you can't see how many of them are, are doing it at the way it's going. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. What just just to round things off, mate. What what's the vibe in supercar land at the moment? Because it's you know you, you speak to some people and it's end of days and the championship's dead. But then you speak to others and it's actually strong and you look at the TV ratings from the weekend and they were very, very good on 7 and Fox as well. Mm. Um, There's lots of sponsorship involved at the moment. The racing's competitive, Red Bull, whitewash aside. So like always, it's impossible to work out whether things are good, whether things are bad or whether it's just ticking over at the moment and actually it's, it's just okay. What's your take? Where do you see it? Gee, I tell you what, that's a great question, Richard, because as long as I've been involved 
in covering supercar racing and before that at the Australian Touring Car Championship, the, the, the disparity of views along the pit lane was enormous. I think, as I mean, I've had people tell me that sport will, has got 12 months to live for the last 25 years. Mm. So my, my read of it at the moment, it's critical in terms of getting the ownership done, getting the Gen 3 deal sorted and getting on into a new era. I think that's really critical and, and how it emerges from that. I don't think it's on its last legs, but I think there's probably um, some improvements that need to be addressed, as always, in terms of you know getting their digital marketing strategy right, getting their um, getting their cost structures in place. There's less cost, more um, more entertainment. I think is the big thing. Um, I, I think it's fundamentally sound in the point of view that it's that it's the the only professional motorsport championship in Australia. It has the heroes of the sport involved in it. It has a national reach. It has a it has a, a the best by far broadcast deal. It it has the aura of real heft and importance about it that no other motorsport in the country has. And that's not to dismiss TCR or S five thousand or Porsche or any of the others who are all thoroughly impressive professional parts of the sport, but supercars is top dog and it's still got that aura about it that it's had for the last 20 years. Okay, it has its ups and downs. And I would say right now you can't afford to have many weekends in a row like we just had where Red Bull dominate the sport mm. the way they, they do. Um, and hopefully that's where Gen 3 makes a big makes a big difference. We get more diverse winners Closer racing, more passing, all those things. Everyone recognises the issues with the sport in terms of the on-track performance, and they're trying to um, they're trying to do something about it. Let's hope it just works, and that that'll be important for it, mate. We really appreciate your insight. Thank you yeah. for jumping on. We will let you go and enjoy another beer because you're in North Queensland, and it's the thing to do. So um, we really appreciate it. Just quickly though, uh, our audience goes beyond Australia. We've got people tuning in via. Our mates at Radio Lamar, which is sensational. Um, if they're not familiar with their work, where can they find you? Because you're all over the place. Auto Action, of course. Um, yep. I read an excellent feature by you in the latest issue of Wheels Magazine, which I thoroughly enjoyed about um, what happened to this Vietnamese VinFast, oh, VinFast yes. group. Yeah, love that. Uh, where else can people find your work? Plug so, away, please. So carsales.com.au, which is where I write uh which is a general motoring site where I ride a lot of work. Wheels, as you mentioned, uh, Australian Muscle Car, yep. which is a lot of fun. We do a lot of historical stuff there. And uh, the New Daily, which is a news website where I write road tests for them. Plus, of course, as you mentioned, Auto Action, which is, um, which is yeah, which is I've been part of my life for like, I don't know, it feels like a million years now. It's just about <laughs> killed me, but we'll keep this all going on. Did you I, know? I want to say one thing. The best racing at the weekend, Richard, and I, you, you'll probably say something, the best racing at the weekend was in Porsche, and that was yeah. that was amazing racing. So just a little plug for the Porsches there. They yeah. showed everyone how to do it on the weekend. It was awesome. Yeah, the, the sheep station was uh, substantial. Oh. They were playing for. Actually, one of the jokes uh, around the Porsche paddock, I won't name names, but um, there were comments made a while back in the supercars paddock going, oh, we can't afford to make these cars too much like Carrera Cup. Might have been Shane, actually, who said that. We don't want to make the cars too much like Carrera Cup. And at the weekend, there were a few people in the Carrera Cup paddock going, I don't think that's a bad thing. Because yeah. the, <laughs> the racing was properly uh, properly wild. No, it yeah. was sensational racing. Yeah, if the supercars turn on action like that every week, there'd be no complaints from anyone anytime. 100%. Thanks I'm for joining us. Advice. 
Bruce, Please I'm not sure whether that's been your wife calling you or a Macau in the background, but yeah. yeah sorry about the noise effects. <laughs> not at all. It's beautiful. The, the tropical, uh, it's the tropical look. Yeah. Authentic North Queensland. There are people listening to this in the UK that will be craving for that. So yeah. that's brilliant. Good yeah. on you, mate. Thanks for your yeah. time. Cheers, guys. See you later. Bruce Newton joining us here on the grid. Joining us for a chat now, Mark Walker from theracetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Shebexter, Krause, have we figured out who finished third to Red Bull on the weekend yet? Have they finished yet? <laughs> I think they're still collating points. You know, the most damning stat of the weekend was that seven cars finished on the lead lap on Saturday or whatever it was. Yep. Seven or nine. I don't care. It wasn't enough. Out of 24, that, that's not That yeah. was just an absolute smashing, wasn't it? Yeah, it Correct. was. Yeah, it was. And uh, domination, like I was going to say, we haven't seen for a long time, but we sort of did see bits and pieces of that sort of domination, didn't we, with Scott McLaughlin, but, but not, not from a team. Not from team, no. No, you're right. Not from but, two cars. And and that was the thing we always talked about last year and even the year before, wasn't it, about the Shell V-Power domination, was that it was only the one car. Yeah. It was only the 17 that did the job. They didn't get both of them up there, whereas Red Bull time and time again – that's still the only team that consistently deliver two cars that are consistently competitive in every single race in the championship. And and it's not if, so let's say Shane had won both of those races, but Jamie was sixth or seventh. We wouldn't be sitting here going, what an absolute flogging that was. Hmm. We, we'd be going, how good Shane Van Gisbergen, the guy's a freak. But the fact that they were so dominant that yeah. their only battle for the race lead the entire weekend was between the two teammates in both races, which takes all the sting out of a battle for the race lead because they're never yeah. going to box on, especially with Jamie retiring into team ownership. He knows how much it costs to fix the cars he owns now. Um, that, that's what made it such a smashing for mine. If Shane had gone and smoked them all, then fantastic. He's a legend and he's in the form of his life, which he is clearly. But um, the fact Jamie was there and they were in front by so much, uh, that's what made it so utterly ruthlessly impressive. Is it possible to have a dominant domination? Because I thought Van Gisbergen dominated the domination, especially on the Saturday with that four-tenths of a margin between him and Jamie uh, for pole. That was a, a massive gap. Considering the gaps that you normally get, four tenths normally separates the first ten cars. But but then Jamie put four tenths on Van Giz on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. He is very good around Townsville, though. Let's not mm. forget that. I mean, if there's one track that's going to play to Jamie Wing Cup, it's going to be Townsville. And guess what? We get to go again this weekend. Three one hundred and ten k races. Although the thing that disappoints me this weekend is that they're sticking on the same compound tire. Mm. I wish that they would have. You know, obviously, there's logistics involved, and they can't just whip out a, a race meeting's worth of super soft tyres out of nowhere. Uh, there, there, you know, there would have been all sorts of considerations to play there, but oh, it would have been so much better if they were put them on the super softs and change the game. It might give some people leg up, some people leg down. It would certainly change it up, but uh, copy-paste, repeat, and go again. Mm. I, I think what I did love... Uh, on the weekend was Van Gisbergen's reaction to that poll that he took and that, yeah. the, the, the the fist pumping inside the cabin and the like. I've never seen Shane that emotional apart from winning a championship, I think, yeah. inside the car. And at the same point, I saw him after the Saturday race and, mate, he was absolutely rooted. Um, 
not just with the physical exertion, but remember, he only started training last week, basically, uh, after the collarbone injury at the start of the year. Yeah. So from a physical condition point of view, yep, silly, looks lean and fine, but he hasn't done, uh, you know, 5% of the kind of aerobic and the strength and all that like, conditioning that all the other drivers in the field, you would imagine most of them have done leading up to that weekend. So that's the longest race of the year since Bathurst, 250 Ks. It was on Saturday, it was 27 degrees, beaming sunshine. It was warm inside the car 50 plus. And that joint, you're working 95% of the lap, you're flat out. So yeah. it's a really physical little joint. He was as toasted as you've seen him. They did all the tricks there. They don't run air con and all that sort of came no. to give them all the creature comforts to keep them fresh because you know what? That robs horsepower. Yeah. You know what horsepower gives you? Race wins. So, yeah. you know, some of the other drivers probably looked a bit better after the race, but uh, they didn't win it, did they? Well, the amazing no, thing didn't. is Nick Perkett lost six kilos on Saturday. Wow. Yep. Like, Nick Perkett can't afford to lose six kilos. <laughs> I can't. Like if he weighs six kilos. Yeah, I can. Like, Same here. Notice it. <laughs> uh, I'll gladly donate some kilos to Nick Perkett this yeah. weekend if that's if it'll help out. Any day of the week. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it was um it was it was impressive to it was one of those weekends where and, and being fortunate enough, and believe me, I feel fortunate to see it live, it, it wasn't great racing. But you sit there and go, it's hard to be critical of that performance because from a, an execution standpoint, you rarely see races done better than that by a single team. It, it's like when you go to a footy game, Shebex, and you would have seen your fair share of these where it's a 120-point drubbing. And yep. you know that the team that's done that are just doing every single thing as best as they can possibly be done in the game of Aussie rules football. So they win by an enormous margin and it's not because the opposition's rubbish. It's just because they are executing at such an impossibly, I was going to say high level, but that's a cliche, um, high level that, um, that sort of roll with it anyway, um, that, that they just smoke everyone. It's yeah. not an uncompetitive field. There are teams and drivers that can beat Red Bull and have, have beaten Red Bull in that grid, but they just smoke them on any given day. And yeah, it was so impressive to watch live. Yeah, and then you get other days where you're just glad that you get paid to watch the crap that you sometimes watch yes. because it's that bad. Yeah, I don't think this was that occasion. No, no, it wasn't. And I'll tell yeah. you what I'll tell you what was great about the weekend as well. Mark, you've got something to say on that probably before I go into my point. Well, the battles down the pack were fine. There was plenty mm. of stuff to keep you entertained. If you're one of those casual punters who just tuned into Channel 7 on the weekend, and it seems plenty of people did, there was plenty going on down the pack. And also the supports were... Yeah. Just excellent. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it shows that racetrack is the racetrack, isn't it? Like, mm. you know, we're bang on about different tracks and their layouts, but across the board on the weekend, except for those rebel guys, the racing was mint. Mm. It's a great little set. I yeah. love that place. It's forty percent permanent track, forty percent. Oh, here we go. Road and twenty percent tropical forest. <laughs> It's actually less tropical for us now. We we <laughs> touched it? on it in the power rankings. The place looks great. That that new stadium up there is really cool. I, I've yep. walked into the track every day from from the CBD. Um, so I literally walked around the back of the stadium, and my legs are covered in midgey bites because walking next to the mangroves there. So that was the only penance I had to pay for that. But um, 
really, really cool. It's now completely connected. There's a big thing up there at the moment with those little scooters. You know, you, you get yeah, your, the electric uh, ones, yeah. You sign in on them. They're yeah. everywhere, like yeah. abandoned on every street corner. But you can now get one of those. Did you ride one? No, absolutely. Oh, not. come on. No, they're I would, the best. I, I would 100% be run over by a car. No, I actually, one, I, I wouldn't be Shebex. I would fall off and stun myself. I rode no, one at Christchurch, one of those lime. Lime scooters, they're yeah. fantastic. Yeah, you've got particularly soft ankles there, Craig. I do. I, I could see two ankles coming up after that. Yeah, they've got a lot of crap to carry around. But but my point was that they've before the the Reed Park. It, it's two k's from the centre yeah. of Townsville, but it always felt disconnected. There's mm. a massive big wasteland area, really, and a and the Ross River between it yeah. and the city. But with the stadium and the infrastructure work they've done around it, beautiful bike paths pathways boardwalks it's brilliant really nice. really well done and it's now uh, like it's from a setup point of view I, I think it's probably the best street circuit on and, the calendar and that's something that other street tracks have for and against it like albert mm. park it's a bit disconnected from melbourne like it's on its own little block yep. there and the public transport's so good after the race that everyone just disperses off in every direction mm. the old gold coast indie used to be great when the track went right down in the guts of Indy there and the whole crowd just filtered down there after the race. Mm. So it's good that it's got that connect. And if it's a 15 minute amble to the Townsville brewery. Oh uh, yeah. Well, it literally exactly. was, I walked past it every single morning. Walk past it. Nice. Oh, in, in the morning, morning you walk past. Yeah. yeah right. I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier who finished third on the weekend. Well, that answer. <laughs> is Anton Di Pasquale, who had a great weekend. Will Brown had a great weekend. We, we actually saw some uh, some blokes step up and, and Anton finally start to produce the well, the rhetoric that's been spoken about him for a while. Yeah, look, but but we've seen that this year. But I, I, this brings up a point that I want to talk about and that we touched on in the TRT Power Rankings, available now at theracetalk.com. They're particularly good. Uh, Another issues, great version. But, yep, I yeah. think so. Um, is consistency. And it must be more frustrating in the teams than for us watching on. But the biggest problem at the moment is that the only people executing week in, week out are the Red Bull Holden racing team. Um, yes, they have blips. Race one at Hidden Valley wasn't super for them. And Jamie Winkup had a, a pretty quiet weekend at the bend before it. But so Anton Di Pasquale, okay. So he went third, third on the weekend, but his Darwin weekend was DNF 612. Mm-hmm. And at Tail and Bend, uh, it was 3-1 DNF. So really frustrating. But the most frustrating one of all for mine, lads, was was Cameron Waters. And mm-hmm. Tickford just mm-hmm. rolled the arm over with one of those anonymous weekends that they sometimes pop out with. They are never going to win a championship again if they continue to do that and be inconsistent. Like Cam Waters now should be a guy that if he's not beating the Red Bulls, he should be third in every single race to accumulate championship points, but he's fifth in the standings now. He's behind Moston Davison. Um, yeah, and you look at yeah. Davison. I mean, there's yeah. the accumulator there. He finished Correct. fourth and ninth in the weekend, and he's up to third by just yep. not getting DFNFs and not having Blottos. Yep. Fourth and ninth is enough to get you up into third. But Most, And Mostert's the other one, isn't he? Mm. Like They were completely – they weren't bad, WAU, on the weekend, but they were worse. They were anonymous. Well, they, they just had no qualifying pace. Like mm. I think he raced okay, but – yeah, it wasn't good enough, was it? Yeah, I, I just one of my biggest bugbears is when a good team be, doesn't become bad; they just become anonymous. Mm. It's like it, they don't really do anything at all, and that's that's I find that very frustrating. If I was a follower, that would drive me insane. 
but one, what about Brad Jones? I mean, they're so close oh. to to nailing it repeatedly, aren't yeah. they? They've sort of yep. picked up where Team 18 were. I mean, Team 18 had an absolute barrier in the weekend, but, you know, Percat was fourth on Saturday and obviously yep. had the uh, world fall apart there on Sunday, but Todd Hazelwood was pretty good there on Sunday. So, I mean, yeah. they've got their moments. Um, they well, they just need to capitalise on them. And, I mean, Percat would have finished third had his whole universe not fallen apart. Well, and Matty Jones is qualifying well too now in the Coke car. He was 11th on Sunday. So, yeah, yeah they're, they're really building to something there. I, I, yeah, I felt, for, I felt for Nick on Sunday after. It wasn't his universe, it was his team. My Lord. Oh, his car. His car fell oh, apart. The car power steering apart. broke. Yeah, yeah, nothing new about that. No, yeah, but yeah. the, yeah. But you look at you look at Nick, and he's eighth in the championship. But he's what thirty points, uh, twenty eight points out of sixth. So, and realistically, only another couple of hundred behind Cam Waters. He's probably not not really in P five contention. But if he can get to sixth place at the end of the year, that's an outstanding result for for them. And yeah, he's he's been super impressive. Um, you touched on Will Brown, Shebex. Um, I thought that was really impressive on Sunday, in particular to make the shootout and then to go on and and do the job he did there. And that that team continues to um make a few people eat their words. I think about how they were going to go this year. Yeah, it's an interesting situation, isn't it? They uh they, they promised a fair bit initially, and then these two guys in Kostecki and Brown have come in. The team has really reinvented itself around those two guys, hasn't it? And hence the reason, I think, why we've had such a slow take-up, but it, everything seems to be coming together now. Engineering, drivers, it, it all is just happening. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely batting ahead of expectations where we had them at the start of the year. I mean, they had a complete clean-out the drivers. But, and all the We've always known Erebus has had that potential. Yeah, but now it's, it's a whole new version of Erebus compared to what yeah. they had last year. But I, I like that they've got George Commons there and mm. George used to uh, engineer Rick Kelly. And I remember when George ca- first came on board with Rick, it was a real switch up for, for Rico because he started tuning up Rico. If the, he came in and go, oh, the thing's understeering a bit. Well, why don't you try this? Because mm. we know the car's all right. And I think that's the sort of engineer that you want with a, a rookie driver, if you've got an engineer there, that's not just listening to the driver and trying to tune the car around the driver. If they're there giving the, the driver a bit of a tune up, I think that's a good thing. And it's obviously working out for them. Yeah. Yeah. The form swung there though, hasn't it? Between those two at Erebus, um, Brody dropped off in the last couple of rounds, but, and we sort of taken up the mantle. So it's another team getting one car right all of the time. It just swaps between which well, one car it, it is. They're 10th and 11th in points, so there's not much in yeah. it. That's going to be an interesting thing over the next six meetings, isn't it? Yeah. Speaking of um, anonymous, James Courtney's just, he's ninth in the championship. I reckon if you surveyed half the paddock watching on, they go, no, he's nowhere. But he just keeps popping up with these decent results. Does James, he's been hes been pretty impressive this year, I think, in that, that what is essentially the fourth car at Tickford. James yeah. Courtney seems to get decent results in his life, not just in his driving. He's <laughs> stop it. Everything seems to revolve around decent results. <laughs> okay, well that was a good chat. Yep, <laughs> I don't know where to go with that now. <laughs> That'll put a full stop on that conversation. Yeah, good work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we spoke about uh, supports. Uh, Bruce brought it up as well. Dewey's. Eighty sixes were great. Carrera yeah, Cup, they? fantastic. Jumpy trucks were, as their normal good best. They were just they were good. 
Yeah, look, to be honest, the trucks I felt a bit flat in the weekend and, and there was a quirk uh, in the regulations somewhere and, and I don't know if it was a miscommunication or not where they weren't actually allowed to do their reverse grid race that they usually do, which jumbles mm. the field up. And and I, I I didn't see it happen, but I understand they swapped them around after they started. And yeah, it just um, yeah, it just felt a little bit flat to me on the weekend. Uh, that That series misses having Robbie Gordon in it, to be brutally honest, and Bill Hines and the guys from the States that come out. It's built so much on that US flavor and having those guys in there that are willing to punch on with each other after a race. So um, more than any other category, I think at the moment, that'll be looking forward to borders opening and, and getting the Yanks back in town. But you know what? It's That's not a class that's aimed at you or me, Rich. No, I know. It's not. It's but, aimed uh, at the people going to the racetrack. And sure. I'd have to the whole weekend on the tally here, if it was on my phone or the computer or whatever. And the only thing that my two-year-old son had any interest in at all was mm. the jumpy trucks. Yeah. And he'd be sitting there going, boing, 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 <laughs> boing, boing, like that funny clip on the internet. Yeah. And he just absolutely loves it. But, you know, V8s and stuff, who cares? But the jumping trucks, trucks, the mm. boing trucks. Hey, we need to give a plug to the Toyota Gazoo Racing 86 Series. That Nuts. was off chops. The, the first yeah. race wasn't real good with some shunts, but after that, boy, did they put on a show. Yeah, how about Zach Bates? Another fast Bates. Uh, so Zach is the son of Rick, um, who is, which means he's the nephew of Neil, which means he's cousins to Australian Harry. Rally Champion Harry and his brother Lewis. Lewis. Fair pedigree, isn't it? Yeah, decent. Decent. He was super. Fast mm. young kid, really, really good, and gave Lee Holdsworth a bit of a touch up too. Yeah, hundred percent, which is which is a really good job, uh, but just great racing. The the four by four stuff at times, like they were two by two through most mm. of the laps. Um, and you touched on Porsche Shebex, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, <laughs> wasn't that, wasn't yeah, thank you. Wasn't that just insane though? That championship, my god. I mean, I'm ridiculously yeah. biased because I, I call it, but. Um, I just, I get a buzz out of commentating that kind of car racing because it's so, so intense and there's so many fast young guys having a big crack and, and racing some really experienced guys who are always also having a big crack. And I, I forgot to do it at the time. I need to send a thank you to Chad Nayland, who I usually call career cup with, um, but he's got the promotion, the main game duties now. So, um, when Dale Wood and Luke Gilden crashed into each other in race one at turn four, I completely and utterly forgot and didn't even factor in my mind that those two got crashed into each other at turn four at Sandown in the Sandown 500 in 2019. Um, and Chad was good enough to put a piece of paper in front of me during that and feed me that info. So I was able to sound like I knew that information. I didn't, I didn't have a clue, but I loved the synergy. And, and thanks to Chadley for bringing that up. Cause you um, may have lost Chad, but you picked up, Someone who was fairly capable on the yeah, weekend. Mate Jack Perkinson. Oh, He's an annoyingly talented human being, that bloke. Oh, I love listening to him behind the mic. Um, Rich, on the TV stuff from the weekend, obviously the product that we saw on the TV look, looked as good as it normally does. You know, they mm. had all the good talking heads on there and Garth Tander's awesome and Jack did a ripper job and, and Chad obviously stepping up when he had the chance was, was great. Mm. But how did it work with the technicalities? Because a lot of the... Supercars Media people were still stuck in Sydney. Yeah, so for those that aren't aware, Supercars Media who produce it and 90% of the crew are all based in Sydney and at the moment they're going nowhere fast. Um, yeah, I, the analogy, I, I put it in a tweet on the weekend, the analogy is that 
ideally what you see at home is the duck on top of the pond, nice and serene, but beneath it, the feet are pedaling madly. Uh, and that was the case. So I don't know the exact numbers. I would have said maybe 60% staffing there compared to what they normally have. Uh, so the production team were working from Sydney. So they were working remotely, um, both the sports producer and David Tunnicliffe, who's the, the main game senior producer, um, who anchors the whole show together. Um, Brian Forshaw, who's the normal director, was in Sydney as well. So he was working remotely, which means Nathan Prendergast, who's been on the show before. He's the boss of Supercar Media. He was the gun director and has been for a long time um, for until Brian came on the scene. Um, so he jumped back on the tools. Nathan, who's been on the show, has an amazing ability to both be switching the vision, which he was doing, directing. So going, okay, camera two, we're coming to you. Take camera two. Um, and at the same time, jumping on the back mic to us and making amusing <laughs> jokes and comments about the way we go, um, we go car racing. So, um, and what we're calling and whether we say something stupid, he'll be the first one to chime up. It's really annoying, but he's very, very good at it. Um, I thought you were very calm about your analogy of how he switches to, to camera too. Uh, for, from my experience, a director would normally go, tighten up too, tighten up. No, focus, no, he's, loose, focus, he's, too, he's very no, good. Oh. Don't get it wrong. He'll tell you, but um, no, no, it was, it was really impressive. So yeah, to summarize it, it was hard work and, and there are some massive uh, technical challenges that came out um, on Friday when everything was set up on Thursday, when everything was rigged um, to overcome and it took some time to get around it. But if the product that came out was as seamless as it usually is, then that was a great result. So um yeah, full credit to Supercar Media for putting that on because they had a lot of their staff down in Sydney making a lot of a lot of what came out um, occur. It's simple stuff. I'll give you an example. There's they're called ENG crews that go out around the precinct and shoot vision that then gets filed, uploaded, edited, and played out. Now, usually that all happens at the track, but all the editing team are stuck in Sydney, so instead stuff would go out and get shot. It'd then get uploaded to the internet via Dropbox or the cloud, and then the people in Sydney would grab it, edit it, turn it around, and it'd get played out. But internet can be a fickle thing, as we all know. We have this problem every week recording this podcast. Yeah, mainly Um, at my end. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So sometimes it might take five hours to upload a terabyte file so the people in Sydney Mm. can grab it. So there's all those little things that you don't think about that go into making that product um, that, that had to be overcome. And they just, it's such a privilege to work with that group of people uh, every weekend and how they turned it around. And um, yeah, if the, if the product looked um, as it usually does, then they've, they've done their job. Yeah. And uh, we should also congratulate Jack Smith on getting Pauline Hanson as his number one ticket holder. Yeah, what's the go with that? I have no idea. What? <laughs> Good. That was well, weird. She's done a I bit mean, of motor it, racing lately. <clears throat> oh, I mean, SCT Logistics is a massive, massive company. Like, mm. it's probably a handy thing to have some politicians on side, especially when uh, they've got such a footprint across the nation. Like, companies like that that uh, you don't necessarily know about. But if you're in those sort of transport circles, mm. like, they own railways. It's yeah, massive. Yes, literally so. own railways. <laughs> but she popped up at um, Willowbank recently yep. for the, the Winter Nationals behind yep. a top fuel car and had yep. the same reaction everyone does when they see a top fuel car, burst into tears and laughed. It's the best thing ever. Please explain. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if you're listening to this on Radio Show Limited, um, 
Just Google Pauline Hanson or, yeah. or not. Actually, oh, no, 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 I don't. No, no. I yeah. can't endorse that advice. I'm sorry. She's a fish and chip <laughs> shop owner. Yeah. Well, she was. Dabbles in federal politics and mm. sort of Trump-esque. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You like that exactly. kind of thing. What happens this week, boys? Well, I was, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to go past more Red Bull domination, isn't it? I, I desperately want Brad Jones Racing to win a race. Uh, they just, if any, no one deserves it, but if, if anyone does, it's them, surely, with what they've been through and this year and battling away and coming so close. I'd love to see Nick grab a race win. That'd be bloody great. Yeah. It's just going to be hard to nail three qualifying sessions in a yeah. row, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So that, that's going to be the opportunity for anyone who isn't Red Bull, if they can jag a couple of the good uh, qualifying sessions there and, and put them under attack and make them have to earn their wins. Uh, yeah, there's a chance there, but uh, you really can't see it happening, can you? No, you can't. And I must say too, before we wrap it up, that my favourite meme of the weekend was the Simpsons meme where all the kids were looking at Scafie and saying, say the line, Scafie, say the line. Operating at a high level. And they all have their hands up with you. I love that. Well done. Well uh, done. No, nah, it was great. And, yeah, old Garth Tander, she's, she's the next Neil Crompton. Right? Oh, she's uh, good. I sat yeah. in the booth and watched them call uh, call a race, and, um, man, he gets up on the revel, and it was awesome. Because what you get from Tander is you get the ability of someone to tell you what's happening next to be able to predict what's yeah. happening next and to intelligently tell you what just happened. Oh, like I ran a bit of pocket KO while I was mowing the grass and had the headphones on. And you just, just explain for those that don't know what pocket KO is, would you? Please? Well, you just run, run a stream you on your phone and mm. on your phone and just run the headphones and you mow the grass. Okay. Uh, I don't really know what else to say there. No. Do you have one of those phone holders that actually sits on top of your lawnmower? I'm <laughs> trying not to. Chop off a toe, mate. Like, I've got a bit on as it is. Uh, but just listening to Garth, like, it was it was Scaife and Garth doing those top 10 shootouts, and Garth was so articulate, explaining exactly why things happened, the reasons why they happened. I didn't need to see the pictures. You mm. knew what was going on if you just listened to Garth, which was, you know, it, that would have been excellent radio commentary, but the fact that it's on the TV, all the more better. Yeah, yeah and he, he's still current to like he'll yeah, jump correct. into one of those things at Bathurst and probably go and win it again. Um and the same could be said for Jack, I think as well. Um it's that current level of currency. Um and I mean he's just been announced he'll be back in the Eggleston car in, in Super Two next weekend. So um or this weekend, which is great. So yeah, it, it's the future of broadcasting in this country, boys, um is in safe hands, I think. And and there's been a hesitation I know for, for moving on from the incumbents and there's a whole group of them and probably involved in that myself, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the sports in good hands, especially when it comes to drivers switching to broadcasting, you know, there's a million and one footballers that come and do end up doing football commentary, but the, the racing gigs a bit harder, I reckon. Um, yeah. And, and not as many people transfer um, successfully, but uh, yeah, we're in pretty good shape. I think with your Tanders and Perkins of the world coming through. Yep, and shout out to Larko, who I know listens and um, bailed me up for 15 minutes to query some of the positionings on the power rankings from Darwin. I'm not lying. Um, 
dead set was, oh, I reckon that could have been a bit higher up, Krause. Um, <laughs> so, wow. get out to Larko, who's a Power Rankings fan. We we love you, mate. We need to get him back on shortly because yes, uh, he's, yep, he's on the list. He's, yeah, fantastic. Hey, boys, have a, a great week. Enjoy the weekend of motor racing. Krause, for you, watching it from your uh, couch at home. Yeah, that'll be anticlimactic after being there for the mm. weekend. I won't lie, but... Um, when the world writes itself, get to Townsville. Free tourism ad for North Queensland. Good yeah, place. Great place to be. Ciao, Mark. Yeah, I'll just pocket KO again. Yeah, good idea. Those lawns are going to look great. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody are. MCG turf in your backyard, <laughs> the way you made them. Thanks for joining us, boys, and thank you for joining us as well right here on The Grid.